Welcome to Inside Swindon Support with top guests and top tips. So really excited to have the one and only Mr. Brett Salakas here for this episode of Insights. Um, it's been a bromance for a long time. A long time. So we've been friends Mwah. online for a very long time. We first met IRL. Uh, in 2016, I looked it up, mate. Oh, wow, okay. So okay. that was um, a Melbourne? long time in Melbourne, Melbourne. yeah, yep. and uh, in Australia, not here in the UK. Uh, you're my oh, guest. That's right, actually, I haven't spoken yet. The accent hasn't come through. People don't know that uh, I am from a different part of the world. Yeah, a long flight, or well, flights coming here. Yeah, yeah. Or two flights? QF1. QF1, Qantas flight number one. Uh, I thought it was a direct flight, had a, a little stopover, a refuel in Singapore. Just a very quick 25-hour flight straight here. Oh, direct, just a 25-hour direct flight. And not, not too bad at all. Uh, Brett is someone who is influential, not just in uh, Australia, uh, but um, he's, he's huge over there. Um, but his impact with uh, tissue huge learning and technology. Um, it's a band, isn't there? Big in Japan, is that a song? Uh, <laughs> but um, no, his impact um, is, is, uh, and his legacy, um, sounds like we're doing a eulogy now, yeah. uh, is, is long-standing. Uh, founder of Aussie Ed, uh, the uh, chat on, on Twitter, but impactful in so many ways. It's a real delight to have him in for a conversation here at BET. Um, we heard a little bit about your journey uh, to, to the UK for BET, correct? But first time in, not only first time in the UK, first time in Europe. Is it really? As someone who had, I had my first principalship, um, I, I've lived abroad um, a very large, portion of my life, about a quarter of my life, um, and as you know, like, like probably yourself, uh, we get invited to sort of go around the world and speak at different conferences yeah, and, yeah. and whatnot. I tend to do, obviously, Australia and New Zealand, I tend to um, dart up to uh, Asia and occasionally to North America, uh, but literally the first time I've ever been in Europe. So I've been in the UK slash Europe for about 30 hours. Wow. <laughs> How did so, you get that going? Uh, yeah, fantastic. It's a currently about like uh, 2 a.m. in Sydney at the moment, so I, I think I'm doing all right. That's very, very good indeed. I do have a giant can of mother over there just trying to trying to keep me going. Well, look, uh, we're talking about your journey to here and first time in, in uh, and welcome to, to the UK. Thank yeah. you. Uh, if nobody's welcomed you already, then no, you, I, I take big that welcome. as my official welcome. There you go. Brilliant stuff. But what about your journey in education, Brad? Can you share a little bit about, I mean, you mentioned principalships, I mean, you've yeah. been a teacher and a variety of roles within education. Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, look, so I'm a, I'm a primary school teacher by trade. Uh, so you guys call it primary here in the UK? Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So primary school teacher by trade, um, 28 years in the classroom. Uh, taught in Sydney, Australia uh, for the early part of my career. Moved to Singapore. Uh, teaching abroad was a really fantastic way to fast track into leadership. Uh, I, I guess we didn't have the teacher shortage that tends to be uh, the case uh, as, as, as today uh, we have. Yeah. Um, there was a lot of teachers back in those days, so climbing the ladder was a little bit hard. Um, but going abroad, the thing was, uh, I was on a two-year contract. I actually taught at a British school. Um, I taught at a British school in Singapore. Um, but uh, two-year contract. So every year, 50% of the, the staff would leave and go home, predominantly home to the UK. Yeah. Um, but I, I did have a very, very old, uh, a relic, a relic from uh, the British Empire. Uh, and I, she did used to refer to 
she had a, a couple of Canadian teachers. There were a couple of um, there were a couple of uh, Australian and a, and a couple of Kiwis. Uh, and she did refer to us as teachers from the colonies. Uh, so we were the colonial teachers, um, but it was predominantly a uh, 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 British British teachers. But what was fantastic was, uh, like like I said, every two years. So if you ever stayed your third year, the fourth year, the fifth year, uh, you'd actually have opportunities for leadership pretty early in my career. Moved back home to Australia, uh, taught uh, again in, in, in schools for a while. Ended up, my first principalship was in Singapore. Um, came back to Australia, um, did a range of different roles. Ended up moving out of schools and worked for the New South Wales uh, Department of Education and had some really cool roles there doing different mm-hmm. things. Um, and kind of my team was responsible for the state's um, COVID response. So that right. was that was an interesting thing for a bit like yourself, um, someone who had invested a huge portion of my career into education technology and the, I guess, the, the reasoning behind teachers training and, and, and having good pedagogical practice, digital pedagogical practice, uh, suddenly, um, you know, uh, put your money where your mouth is type of a time. It was like, all right, let's, Let's do this and let's do this at scale. So um, the, the learning from home hub that we were able to create um, in New South Wales was quite significant and actually helped uh, a lot of the other jurisdictions across Australia. Um, so it was, it was something that I'm quite proud of uh, in my career. Yeah. Oh, fantastic career from the sounds of it and uh, still continuing to make impact, uh, not just say in, in, in Australia, but around the world. Um, because it's insights, Brett, I wanted to ask you some questions about something that I got back many years ago. I had the lovely opportunity to do a bit of a research project with the UK mm-hmm. uh, Department for Education. I got to visit Adelaide. Uh, we were looking at sustainability in schools. Now, I learned from that trip that, um, you know, uh, um, water is a scarce thing in Australia. Yes, sir. Um, it, uh, and, I mean, I, I was really fortunate to visit like, uh, a place called like, the, the Cowandilla Climate Change School. You know, yeah. way back in like 2006, I think it was. So it for those already... who don't know, Australia, the driest inhabited continent on Earth. Wow. But take all that time back, back along, they were, you know, uh, recycling their water. They were growing their own plants for lunch. It was just phenomenal. I mean, we took what we learned, brought it back, and it fed into this sort of um, building schools for the future. And yeah. um, here in the UK. So we sort of try to build in sustainability into the schools. Jump forward, 2024, climate change crisis is, is here, really, isn't it? Right? Yeah. You know, so I wondered if you had any insights, because you work you know, across, across the, the whole of Australia and, and into New Zealand as well, like you said. And, you know, so driest continents in the world. Now, when we use technology, it draws an awful lot of power. You know, it, it, it takes water to cool that. It, all these different things are involved in that. Are there any sort of sustainability strategies that um, you've seen working about? We want to use technology, we want schools to work well, we want to be sort of future-proof, but, you know, in five, ten, what's the world going to look like with the climate in you know, 15, 20 years' time? Yeah. You know, so are there any things that you've learned that Australia are doing really, really well around that that might be of interest to our viewers? Yeah, look, um, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to put a little asterisk and uh, disclaimer that my, my current role is the HP Hewlett-Packard Education Ambassador uh, for Australia and New Zealand. Um, Now, funnily enough, I've got a device that's not hugely common in schools, because it's a little bit high-end, 
but I use a device called a, a, a Dragonfly, one of HP's products, Dragonfly. And when you talk sustainability, um, uh, this particular product, and, and I had just disclaimer, this we was did not, not planned. This was not planned. You asked me a question about sustainability. My device is the most sustainable device in the world. So uh, the, the Dragonfly device is actually made out of uh, ocean-bound plastics. Okay. So they're actually, uh, you know, if you've got a if you've got a computer at home or you're, you're listening on a device that's metallic, there's been a significant amount of mining that has had to happen to to get that magnesium to get that aluminium out of the ground. So our devices, just before we talk about any sort of sustainability from a, uh, any other perspective, just the device that you're using to view uh, uh, this this show uh, probably has been mined. Probably in itself. Uh, the, the metals, but even the rechargeable battery, uh, or like your, your, your cobalt and all that mm. sort of stuff, really, really challenging. If, it, if ever you, you haven't looked into it, go and look at uh, the cobalt mining and lithium mining, particularly the cobalt mining, and you might have a different view of uh, chargeable batteries um, after that. So anything that we can do with our products to make our products more sustainable uh, uh, is awful better. So my very high-end device is actually made out of uh, ocean-bound plastics with old They'll get, they, I don't know what they do, but there's a big um, plant in um, Indonesia. They put them through some sort of process and they actually um, hard press the, uh, the keyboards, the, the casing, all that sort of stuff uh, to, to give you your device. So supposedly the most sustainable device um, on the planet. Right. So what does it actually do then? Look, it's just a normal computer. Oh, right, okay. It's just a normal computer. It, it, it's a very powerful computer. Uh, but if you're a school and you want to model uh, good sustainable practices. Sometimes it's good to, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. to you know, uh, I, I guess lead by action, not just by word. Um, but it's interesting with what you say. Like uh, there's all these sorts of trends, um, but we know, uh, and I was going to say, uh, we know that. Why do we do education? Like, why, why do we have education? Um, and then we think, and if you ask a teacher, and I, and I remember asking my staff this uh, once. Um, just before COVID, when I was still like leading a school, I remember we, we, we kicked off our staff meeting, and I wrote up on the whiteboard in in, in the uh, at, at, at the staff meeting, um, and uh, I wrote up, "What is the purpose of school?" And it's a good question to ask uh, because you get a group of teachers, and you will have hundreds and hundreds of different answers. Uh, off, to, off the top of your head, um, purpose of school? Oh, it's all about education, isn't it? about education it's all about education so then you refine the question and you talk about purpose well, someone has to pay for schools someone has to pay wages pay infrastructure pay for curriculum pay for assessment pay for a national thing so this is our government our government uses our taxes and uh, why do governments prioritize billions of pounds and I'm trying to make sure I say the word pounds and not dollars while I'm here, <laughs> uh, millions and millions of pounds, why does a government prioritise that sort of expenditure? Now, the reason is actually pretty simple from a government perspective. Uh, and it's to have the, that younger generation either be prepared for higher learning uh, or prepared for the workforce. And I think everything that we do, and we're at this... We're at the, the mecca of EdTech at the moment here at, at, at BET um, uh, in London. Um, and you've got all these vendors everywhere, um, you know, applying all of their wares. But really, I think every single person that can talk about anything that, that, that is of 
any sort of digital um, device or digital initiative or AI this or 3D print that, every person should be able to tie their product, their thinking, their idea, their concept back to that. How does that help what our actual purpose of schools are? Uh, and if, if people don't have a narrative around that, um, I think that is, is where they fall over. Now, I say that because when you talk sustainability and we talk about the United Nations Sustainability Goals, and that's often where we go, we, we easily think sustainability and, and you start with water and, 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 and we, we think environment and deforestation and yep. desertification and, and all that sort of stuff. But education is one of the sustainability goals. When we are talking about when we talk about sustainability, educating our youth, preparing our youth, not just the ones right in front of us, but the youth around the world, that's one of the, the greatest things we can do from a sustainability point of view, is if we want our planet in, in good shape, we need the younger generations to have quality education. Absolutely. I mean, great, great response. And say education is the cornerstone of so many things as well. I'm mindful that you're busy and probably tired of giving it 2 a.m. for you right now. But um, I wanted to spend a moment talking about your book. Oh, okay. Very yeah, good. And have you got a copy of it with you by any chance? Um, I, do, I do, I do. Yeah. Oh. Oh. He'll go and get it. While he goes and gets a, a copy of his book, I'm just going to um, do a little bit of an intro uh, to uh, this, this book. Uh, so a mammoth lesson. A mammoth lesson. It's a big one. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whopper. Um, it, 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 tie, it starts off with a, a story, you know, which sort of sets the scene, doesn't yeah. it, Brett? Yeah. Um, but then from that... A parable it, of sorts. It then sort of dives into uh, a framework uh, which teachers can use uh, to, to help their, uh, frame their thinking uh, around their use of technology. Yeah. yeah? And, and it's a really useful book. And I say that as someone clearly who's obviously read it. Um, Clearly, we haven't massively planned this conversation. I wasn't sure whether Brett was going to make it in time. He didn't even think he was going to arrive arrived at the right time. So yeah, we, are, sure. <laughs> we, are, we are riffing a little bit here. But um, no uh, better way to do it. Brett being Brett, he doesn't need much planning because no. he's got so many great insights to share. I want to dive into your book. Yes, sir. Not literally because I wouldn't fit into it. No. Um, but um, could you talk a little bit about um, your thinking about why you've created a book and then the framework that's in there? Could you talk around that a little bit? Yeah, and, sure. Um, and I've got another one coming out in a couple of months too, so I might oh, even give you... Uh, you might even... This can be... Uh, what, do you, what do you call that when it's the, um, the, the breaking news? No, it's not that. The scoop. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give, the, give the, you the, the scoop. scoop. Yeah, give yeah, you yeah. the scoop. This is a world first. Yeah, could you talk around that a little bit? And, yeah, sure. Um, and I've got another might... one coming out in a couple of months too, so I might oh, even yeah. give you... Uh, you might even... This can be... Uh, what, do you, what do you call that when it's the... Um, the, the breaking news now. It's not like the scoop. Oh, yeah. I'm going to give you the, give you the, the scoop. scoop. Yeah, give yeah, you yeah. the scoop. This is a world first. World exclusive. World first. I'll, I'll, I'll let you know because um, I on um, on Boxing Day I actually submitted my manuscript oh, uh, wow. for, for the next book. So that'll be out in the, in, in, in the coming months. So um, a mammoth lesson. Very simple story. Um, I'm as as uh, as much as I love my technology, as much as I love all the the razzle dazzle, and, and and I am one for for championing. Uh, digital practice, uh, I'm actually very old school at the same time. I, I really do uh, value our traditional ped pedagogical methods, uh, things that we know uh, that work. My book, A Mammoth Lesson, actually starts, like you say, with that, that, that little metaphor at the beginning, that little narrative at the beginning, that is looking at an Ice Age tribe of uh, people, or Ice Age family, actually called the Yogadep, uh, the Yogadep people. 
the yoga debt people have their own little curriculum, um, and their curriculum is all based on hunting woolly mammoth because woolly mammoth, very, very big, very, very difficult. If you're going to hunt them, you've got to learn how to do it. Uh, and you don't get, go out and do it by yourself. You need to collaborate with a whole bunch of people, all that sort of stuff. Um, so they have a very simple curriculum um, called SPEARS, and S-P-E-A-R-S. Each one of those words is an acronym for uh, a different set of uh, thinking and, and, and practices, all to do with hunting the, the, the woolly mammoth. Um, and in the story, the, the, the family group go out, they hunt the mammoth, they catch the mammoth, they apply their lessons, the older, um, the older hunters have taught the younger hunters what to do, and they do that very, very successfully. What they don't realize is they have caught the last mammoth anywhere. Um, and so they don't notice it first, but suddenly um, uh, the world begins to change. There's, uh, they're going out hunting, they're using these traditions, they're using the, the lessons that they've been taught, um, and there's no mammoth to um, catch. But you know what? Still got to eat. Don't eat, you die. Um, so suddenly all these young hunters are going out and they're, and they're having to try and catch different sorts of, of, of prey. And obviously they need different techniques and, and different tools um, to be able to catch different animals. Um, and this creates friction uh, within this little family group because the older hunters can't understand, well, we had no trouble catching mammoth uh, in my day. Maybe we need to uh, increase our lessons and, yeah. and try harder, all this sort of stuff. So it creates this friction. And obviously it's a, it's a metaphor for a whole bunch of the, the, the challenges that we have with our traditional um, curriculum, yet coming back to right what we said at the very beginning, what the purpose of education is to prepare students for, for, for workforce, if that's what we're trying to do, and if that's the whole point we spend millions and millions of pounds, maybe we need to make sure that, that, that those things are a little bit aligned. Um, so. They are in this, 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 uh, the yoga depth uh, group uh, in the same sort of challenge that, that we're in now. But they find a pathway uh, forward. What they start to realize is whilst the old lessons um, and the new tools might be different, mm -hmm. the underpinning techniques of how to hunt effectively are still the same. Yeah. Uh, so they might adapt their prey, they've adapted their tools, but they, they merge with the, the traditional lessons, and they, they see what is value in, in the tradition, the new methodologies, and bring those two together. And I think that's the impasse that we're in. We need to be able to have a, a, an understanding of not what is the content um, or, or what, is, what is the tool that we used to teach with, but what is it about the way we used to teach and have taught successfully for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years what is our understanding of, of, of traditional pedagogical practices and how do we merge that effectively um, with digital technologies that can enhance, not take away from that? So uh, there's a lesson in there for us. And of course, uh, the Easter egg there is the yoga depth uh, people. Yoga depth backwards is pedagogy. pedagogy. Um, and then the book goes on to, to unpack the SPEARS uh, acronym and then, then look at how schools and how systems um, can apply the spears into their, their, their digital practice within the school environment. That's the book. So, you want to get yourself a copy? Sorry, there's no competition. Um, although, maybe there might be if you get in touch with Brett. You can follow Brett on social media at Mr. Salakas. Uh, he's uh, available uh, on, on all formats as well. 
uh, please do LinkedIn reach out. LinkedIn is the one that I tend to lean into a little bit more. Yeah, Although yeah, I sent yeah. my first TikTok today. Did so really? I did, I did. So I've taken the plunge into TikTok. He'll be on Snapchat next. <laughs> uh, so listen, thank you so much for taking the time to join me for this conversation on Insights. Brett, uh, please do connect with him. Um, before we dash off, please do give us a, a little, uh, the inside scoop on your new book. What's it called? Ooh. Ah, A Eulogy for the Essay. Ah. Authentic assessment in the age of AI. So again, I guess you can probably, from what I just explained about my my, my book, uh, the Mammoth book, I am very big on traditional knowledge and traditional understandings and and the value of, of traditional practice. And how do we keep that authenticity in in a, in a world that is, is is sort of rapidly changing? One of the things, I mean, I, I've engaged with Brett in so many different ways over the years, but. I'll, I'll reflect upon one that happened quite recently. He was a judge in the Global EdTech Awards. Brett always brings the traditional side of things through to the, everything he does. Whenever I've sort of seen him speak at events or engage in things, he's got a really good sense of connection. Uh, um, with, 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 do you want to sort of share a little bit about what happened with the, 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 yeah, the choice? Yeah. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll, it's, so I'll important to, it's so important to sort of show respect, isn't it? You know? Yeah, you're right, you're right. Actually, I, I haven't actually looked at it from that perspective. It's funny that you say it that way, but it is very much uh, about that, me that, and, that and, and about respect. Yeah, it, it actually does. The sort of leader you are and yeah. how you work with people and all those things, which shines through in the book as well, right? Oh, thank you. Thank so you. It's, it's, it's really, really good. So can you talk just, yeah. just to wrap up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, in Australia, we have a, a tradition whenever we gather um, that we, we pay respects to our uh, the traditional the traditional owners of the land, our First Nations people, which obviously in Australia is our Aboriginal people. Um, so we have a thing called an acknowledgement of country in which we acknowledge our First Nations brothers and sisters as the, the first educators, the first teachers of the land on, on, on which we work and uh, walk. Um, but um, obviously around the world, every nation has its traditional people. So it, it sort of cuts to exactly what we've been talking about. Having respect for tradition and then making sure you uphold the traditional values and respect that tradition, um, and you find a way to meld that uh, with the new. You don't get stuck in just tradition and you shun the new, and you don't embrace the new and forget your traditions, but making sure you respectfully find balance between that. Um, that's very much at the core of, of, what, I, of what I do, the, what my book's about, my work, and, and obviously, yeah, that acknowledgement of country that we, we bring at the, the start of any meeting when we, when we gather in Australia. Thanks for sharing that, Brett. And the reason why I wanted to, I, mean, I think it goes to sort of showcase uh, his approaches, but I think there's an awful lot we can learn, Brett, from those approaches because, you know, there's very little sort of reinventing of the wheel in life, I find. Sure. You know, and we certainly find ourselves, certainly myself at least, always standing on the shoulders of giants. Very true. Right? There are always people who will have gone before and we can build and learn from them and build upon that and show respect to them. I think it's so, so important. And that shines through in what you do and what you share and Thank all those different so things. So I will say to, too, to bring that. I've, I've, I've had my 30 hours of, of, of UK life so far. And so I treated myself to a day of, um, a day of uh, touristing. Uh, and I, I downloaded a couple of different uh, walking, self-guided walking uh, tour apps. And we talk about paying respects uh, to history, walking around your, your beautiful town here in London and just feeling the history. And you talk about standing on the, on, on the steps of giant. The insane wealth of, of, of history and experience and, 
and, and how much the UK has shaped the entire world. I mean, here I am from the other side of the world speaking English. Um, it's a big thing in itself when you think about it, right? Yeah. Uh, so just, but uh, it, it's funny that you finished with that and I just say thank you to you. You welcomed me and now we, you welcomed me at the start of this episode. How about we finish by me saying thank you to you and thank you to your, your beautiful country because uh, I just, just have been immersed in, in the wonderful rich tapestry that is the is your, your history so far. Oh, it's lovely to hear. Thank you so much, Brett. And thank you to you too. Hey. Cheers, buddy. Thank you to you too for joining us on this episode of Insights. Please do make sure you follow us on social media at Net Support Group. Please do go to the youtube.com forward slash Net Support YouTube channel and hit that subscribe button and do it right now so you don't miss out any more episodes of Insights live from BET 2024. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. <laughs>